This is exactly right. Having a, a better sense of who we tried to be and who, who we shaped ourselves to be can help us in our parenting um, because it just it gives us a better sense of who we are and what makes us happy and, and what we wanted from life. And, and I think that that's just a, a good thing no matter how old you are. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host. And let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. That mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. At Parent Footprint, we believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. We believe that awareness is the foundation of your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called The Rocket Years, How Your 20s Launch the Rest of Your Life with our esteemed guest, Elizabeth Segrin. Hi. Hi, Elizabeth. I'm <laughs> nice, gonna, to nice to meet you. I'm going to say some nice things about you because people <laughs> need to know what you're all about. Um, and this is very interesting. So Elizabeth has spent her childhood in Brussels, Paris, Singapore, J- and Jakarta, thanks to her father's job in the airline industry. Then she moved to New York to attend Columbia University and went on to get her PhD at UC Berkeley, not far from here, in classical Indian poetry with an emphasis on women, gender, and sexuality. She's a senior staff writer at the business magazine Fast Company, where she writes about fashion. Her work has been published in a wide range of publications, including The Atlantic, The Nation, Foreign Policy, Salon, and The New Republic. And most importantly, she lives in Boston with her husband, daughter, and her books. And we are talking today about her new book, which is the title of the show, The Rocket Years. Elizabeth, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So, okay, I, as we were talking right before the show start, what I was excited about this conversation is this is a specific decade of life that we're focusing on today and that your book focuses on with, with awesome research and data we're going to discuss. And, and this is, it, like, what, what made you or propels you to focus on this generation? Well, it was actually um, a very specific moment that led to the genesis of this book. Um, I had entered my early 30s, and I had a a new baby. I'd recently gotten married, and um, it was 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night. And I had spent two hours getting my daughter to go to sleep. And I, I collapsed on the couch, exhausted with my husband, and we looked, we surveyed our living room, which was sort of taken over by this, by this small child, you know, with the crumbled crackers on the mm-hmm. floor and toys everywhere. And we looked at each other and we said, how did we get here? Um, yeah. You know, we, we love the life that we have. Um, but it was really interesting how in our 20s, um, life had felt so fluid and full of possibilities. And then suddenly, in, in a few short years, it seemed like we had made all of these decisions that had created the life that we now have. 
And I suddenly became very curious about those big decisions that we made that we didn't even really know we were making at the time. And my husband's actually a, a political scientist, and he spends his days, um, you know, thinking through social science data. And he said to me, you know what, Liz, you know, we can actually answer some of these questions. So I spent two years digging through a lot of social science data about a lot of the big decisions we make, including um, the ones that many of us are already thinking about, things like our career, um, you know, our love lives, you know, uh, thinking about potentially having children someday to things that we don't really think that much about, like, you know, our friendships, our passion projects, our faith, um, th things that sort of are, are part of the background in our 20s. And, and I look at what the data says about the decisions we make and where they lead us. Uh, and I couple this with, with my own, uh, you know, experiences in my 20s. And, and that has led to, to this book, which I hope is, is a guidebook to, to others who are going through that journey. Yes, it's the launching, right? The rocket. It's this launch point. And and as you're talking, I was thinking about I had my wife and I had very similar moments where we're like, how did all of this happen? And <laughs> and and yes, isn't this what we wanted? And 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 how did we get here? So totally relate to that. And it just seems that so many of these milestones are would you say like subconsciously transmitted to us? I mean, is it, is it sociology? Is it psychology? Is it family? Like, how do you, how do you come to conceptualize all of these steps of adulthood that we are supposed to take, so to speak? I think it's, it's a lot of those different things together. I think that there are some, um, there are some things that are just part of life for any generation. You know, a lot of us, um, no matter what generation we're in uh, and no matter what point in history, go through this point where, we, you know, we separate from our families and we have this opportunity to think about what we want to bring with us from our childhood into the rest of our life and what we want to let go of. And I think that that is something that every every person, you know, no matter what point in history has has to deal with. But then there are very specific things that, that occur because of the particular zeitgeist that we're in. And, you know, as somebody who's the, you know, part of the oldest generation of millennials, um, I, you know, there were very specific things that I experienced that my parents didn't experience. Um, and so, um, for instance, you know, in, in my life, um, my parents were very much um, encouraging me to, to pursue my dream job, not, not really to think about money necessarily when I was thinking about what I wanted to do with my future. They really told me to go out and create a life that I would be happy with. Happiness was the, the big thing that they were trying to, to give me, you know, the freedom to be happy, which was very different from what their parents had, had told them, you know, their parents were, were much more interested in ensuring that they were stable, which was, in, I guess, in, in their in their time, their idea of the best thing that they could give their child, right? Happiness was right. stability. Right. And so that was very different for me. And and I think that, you know, for each generation, we have a different sort of um, set of values that we're given, but but they all come with challenges, you know, being, being told that you can go out and do whatever you want and try and achieve some sort of deep personal happiness. That's actually quite a lot of pressure to give to a 20 something, you know, um, yeah. to try and figure out what, what happiness looks like. And so it's both, it's all of those things combined. Um, and so in my book, um, I think that the real point of my book is that um, there are a lot of competing anxieties and thoughts that, 20-somethings have to deal with. And I think the most important thing that we can give 20-somethings is 
the opportunity to step back and think a little bit about what really matters to them and what, what they really value. Because I think that, that coming back to that is, is the thing that will help them, um, you know, create their own itinerary in the years to come. But, but we really need to give them this opportunity to stop in the midst of all of that decision-making and all of those anxieties to sort of think about those things. So would you say that, so stepping back and thinking about what matters, um, what's meaningful and what matters, how then is that different? Or would you say it's different than the prior message you referred to of follow your passion, follow your dream? Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, I think that um, I experienced this myself. Um, and and the, the thing is that you're given this, this idea that, you know, you need to go out there and find whatever makes you happy. And the problem is that when you start life, when you're in your 20s, you don't know what that is. Um, and it actually takes having experiences in the real world to try and figure out who you are and what the world is actually like. And so I think that the real tension in your 20s is really this, on the one hand, this desire to go out and make really good decisions. And on the other hand, this desire to kind of make mistakes and go out there and have experiences that are sort of off the grid, right, that are not part of the plan. Um, I, I think that every 20-something deals with this, these two competing forces. On the one hand, they want to, you know, they, they want to try and, like, create the right path into their future. And on the other hand, they, they don't want to do that at all. They want to go out and, you know, date all the wrong people and, and quit jobs and, and do all of that stuff. And actually, I think that the point is that, it, and in my book, I explain this, that, that those two competing forces are actually not competing at all. They're, they're mutually related and they're complementary because it is in going out there and seeing the world and, and having uh, all of these experiences that you sort of get a better sense of what will make you happy. Uh, and it's, it's, in, it's in the balance of these two things that you can sort of find your way to this ideal of creating, um, you know, a, a happy life and finding a career that really is satisfying. And so that's really what I mean by giving mm -hmm. young people the mm -hmm. opportunity to, to dwell on those things. It's giving them kind of that, um, that freedom to have both of those things um, together, right? The, the, de the right. desire to make good decisions and the desire to go off the grid. And, and I like that because, I mean, it's so important thinking of, our parenting um, influence and persuasion at times is, you know, there's been this push for, I think, I don't know, too long, this over-focus on success. Um, so it's like passion, find your passion and be successful. And what you've just added to the conversation is try new things, see what's out there. And I'm going to add like permission to fail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, and I think that what's interesting is that I think most of us have that impulse already, right? We have that there are all these moments in your twenties, and I'm sure you know if you think back to your twenties, you had this as well, where you know you feel like you're you're supposed to be doing A, right? You're supposed to be working your way towards this career or you know being in this stable relationship, and you suddenly feel this desire to escape that and to do something totally different. Um, and I think that that creates a lot of anxiety and stress for people in their 20s. I certainly felt that a lot. Um, you know, I, on the one hand, I wanted to be trying to find um, 
the career that, that I was going to be in in the long haul and work my way up through the ranks. And I, and I also felt this, this powerful desire to just quit everything and uh, move to India for the summer or backpack through Indonesia. Um, and I did that. And I just remember always feeling like I wasn't doing the right thing because when I was at the job, you know, um, you know, putting in my hours and doing the grunt work, I felt like I was missing out on this experience of traveling the world. And when I was traveling the world, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm really missing out on this opportunity to, to work my way up through a particular uh, career track. And ultimately, what I want to, you know, give 20-somethings and what I think that parents should really um, help their 20-somethings deal with is, is to tell them that actually those, both of those things are important because you learn so much about yourself and what, what you want and what you don't want through those, those experiences that don't seem like they're helping you follow a linear path. But the key the key, though, is not to just kind of go off and do those things unthinkingly. It's to it's to be purposeful as you're as you're kind of um, experiencing that chaos, right? And, and stopping mm -hmm. to think for a second. You know, what is it about my desk job that I didn't like that that forced me on this you know on this other path or pushed me into this other direction? Um, what is it about this seemingly stable relationship? that was making me feel constrained. You know, why did I decide that I want to get out of that? You know, um, it, it's about sort of thinking and being thoughtful through that whole experience um, that I think will give you the knowledge you need to make those good decisions when they are confronting you. And do you, you know, the word, the word is that the newer generations seem to be more introspective and more, um, I don't know if introspective is the word, but definitely more go more with what they feel is right in their life. You know, like more like they want to, they don't want as much, I know, I know I'm generalizing here. They don't want as much stuff. They want to have a lot of flexibility. They care about others in the environment. Like, do you find that that, 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 I don't know, stereotype holds for this generation? Yeah. And I actually think that there's a lot of research that, uh, that, that, absolutely supports that. Um, I think that there's a lot of research about how young people are thinking about careers that supports that. So young people, uh, people in their 20s and early 30s are not interested in salary as, um, as a top, you know, reason when they're, when they're picking a job, right? As a top motivation for, for taking a job. They're much more interested in finding work that aligns with their values and their passions and finding a community that they will enjoy working with. Um, when it comes to things like um, like institutions, um, like religion, for instance, you know, young people are a lot less uh, concerned about you know you know following some sort of um, you know externally prescribed path, right? From from like organized religion, but they're they're also deeply spiritual, and so they're they're basically you know interested in sort of creating their own path through spirituality. Um, so so we're seeing that this is a generation that is very thoughtful and that is very um that is very introspective to use a word that, that you just used um and i think that it makes a lot of sense actually because um, this is the generation that is a product of the generation that came before and um you know, I think that our parents um you know people people in their 50s um 60s today um 
felt very constrained by the, their own childhoods and, and what they were given. And their response was to kind of give their children a lot of freedom to go out and, and do whatever they thought was best. But I think that the caveat here is that it's hard. It's hard to figure out what you value and it's hard to figure out who you are uh, when you just, you're, you're so new in the world. You, you haven't had that many experiences. And so there, there's a lot of pressure that goes along with, with their approach as well. Mm-hmm. And, and one of those um, big decisions is uh, choosing who one is going to partner with seemingly uh, for lifetime, but we know it doesn't always work out. And the research that you quote about divorce and age is so interesting. So tell everyone about what you found. It's so fascinating. Um, I, I mean, in general, marriage trends have shifted a lot over the last couple of decades, and particularly the last decade. And it seems like um, actually marriage and, and long-term stable marriages are having a resurgence. Um, and so that's kind of the optimistic take on it. So right. it turns out that, um, you know, young people today, they're being a lot more deliberate about um, who they partner with. Um, they're, they're getting married a little bit later than previous generations. Um, usually by their early thirties uh, so that, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of timing it for when they want to start their families. Um, and relationships today are um, marriages today are lasting longer. They're more enduring. Um, the divorce rate is going down. Um, but here's the, here's the, the, the thing about that though. What sociologists are finding is that um, people tend to be pairing up largely based on socioeconomic uh, backgrounds. So people um, tend to be pairing up based on, you know, whether they have college uh, degrees or grad grad degrees uh, and how much money they make. Um, so people are pairing up entirely based on socioeconomics, it sounds like, um, when you look at the data. And is there any, any love in there or just socioeconomic? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. There's a, there's a, there's a time. I think there is a lot of love. Um, but, but I think what people are finding is that people tend to, um, to love and have more enduring relationships with people who are like them. Um, and I think, and I think a lot of the sociological, uh, sorry, the psychological data, um, actually supports that, that people who are similar to one another, both in terms of socioeconomics and in terms of personalities, uh, tend to get along better and have more stable relationships. And so I think young people are finding that to be true. Um, but the problem here though, is that it's actually much easier for people with um, with education and money to to have those kind of stable relationships. And what we're finding is that um, people who don't have the privilege of uh, education and wealth are having a much harder time uh, marrying and having stable relationships. So people are having you know multiple relationships and lots of children out of wedlock, um, and that inherently is not necessarily a bad thing, but. What we're seeing is that it's actually uh, exacerbating the divide, uh, the, the economic divide in this country. So basically, you know, people with, with privilege and education and wealth are creating families that are wealthier and people who, who don't have those privileges are, are not. And so it's, 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 it's actually exacerbating what we're already seeing as a growing inequality in this country. Hmm. With ramifications. And like you said, this isn't a judgment about what's um, right, wrong, good, or bad, but it does have consequences for um, economic status, education, and child uh, a child child's experiences. 
Absolutely. And um, yeah, and I think, you know, as I was working through the book, um, it's it's so interesting because it seems like people who have, um, you know, the privilege of education and and a good job, they're actually being very strategic about their family planning. Um, They're they're waiting um, till they're financially stable. um, And then they're, you know, they're having children, um, you know, very strategically thinking about how their career is going to play into this, how the husband and wife's job are going to fit into this whole dynamic. It's a very, um, it's a very thought, thoughtful and drawn out process. Um, and on the flip side of things, um, you know, people from uh, poorer uh, backgrounds are just having a much harder time um, building the kinds of families that they want. Um, and so it's just kind of creating generational problems here. Hmm. And, and uh, you're also, you also wrote about age for those that um, do get married, right? So we're, we're now from the, this data, we're talking about not people who don't get married, but people who do get married. You found that um, there's definitely an age window of about four years <laughs> that people are less likely to get divorced if married at that age. I'm, set, <laughs> I'm, I'm setting you up here. I know. Yes. And I think that this is going to create a lot of anxiety in a lot of people. So, so let me, let me, let me give a lot of context for this, but yes, yes. there's actually this kind of um, fascinating research um, that has shown that actually, you know, people who get married between the ages of 28 and 32 tend to have the longer, longer lasting marriages and more stable marriages. And this is actually really interesting insight because um, until recently, people thought that basically the older you got married, the better, right? Because the more mature you would be, the more financial stability you had. And so really, um, you know, people should, uh, should, should be very deliberate and, and, and kind of wait until they're ready to get married. And this research actually threw a wrench in that because it said that basically, um, past a certain point, uh, people's marriages actually become a little bit less stable. And you know, there's a lot of um, economics data about this. So, so they've looked at census data about marriage and and divorce rates to find this this information. But there isn't actually that much um, sociological and psych- psychological data about why it is that people past the age of 32 begin to see declining rates of um, or increasing rates of divorce and declining rates of marital happiness. Um, and But I think one theory is just that, you know, as you get older, you, you just kind of become more set in your ways and it becomes a little bit harder to adapt to, um, to, to, to sharing a life with another person. Um, and so I think that that's just a really valuable thing to keep in mind. Now, now, now the caveat here is that they were looking at all marriages in the United States when they, when they got this, um, when they, when they came to the conclusion about the, the 28 to 32 window. And so there are plenty of people who got married way before 28 and, and way past 32 that have had very happy and stable marriages. But what I do think that this points to is that, you know, it's, it's actually, you know, quite important for us to be thinking um, kind of um, just kind of about what we want our, our lives to look like and, and to sort of have uh, a plan, you know, if, if marriage is very important to us and, um, and if, if, if that's something that we want to create in our own lives, then it might be valuable to sort of think about, you know, trying to forge those relationships in a, in a timely way. Um, and, and, and then also, I guess, if, if you're past that point, if you're in your thirties and you want to get married and you're not married, that's, that there are plenty of people who do that and have very successful marriages. I think the, the thing to keep in mind there is that 
it's possible that you may have a, a slightly harder time, um, you know, for, forming that kind of union and that that kind of uh, household because you've you've you haven't um, you you you've, you spent a lot of time alone, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so that's just something to to keep in mind that that might help you as you're building you know a relationship with another person at that point. Absolutely, and so yes, everyone. The these are statistics, and statistics are on big numbers. And there are always people who fall outside of the statistics who are uh, happy and have long term relationships. So don't, as uh, as Liz was saying, don't panic. You're good. You're good. But this is really interesting data as we're talking about, like w- w- what we're really talking about in your book is giving people in their 20s information to guide them through these years so they have information that can be helpful when they make all of these different types of decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that... um I think it's just really important um, to, yeah, to start from the outset by saying that um, there is no one right path. Um, there's only the right path for you. And, you know, and on all of this data can sound very anxiety inducing when you first hear it. But the, the most important thing, I think, is to take a step back um, and just think a little bit, as, as I mentioned before, about what you envisage your life looking like. Um, I know that, you know, I, I have a whole chapter on, on fertility and on families. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, as some, I'm, I'm 37 now and I remember feeling a lot of anxiety about, you know, if I wanted to start a family and when I should do it. And I felt all of this pressure because, you know, I was told that, um, you know, at the age of 35, my fertility would fall off a cliff. And, uh, and so I felt this pressure to sort of like find somebody to marry, marry them quickly, start my family, because that's what, you know, I was hearing uh, about, about what life was supposed to be like. And actually, that wasn't the right way to think about it, because I think that the, for, the more fundamental question is, you know, what kind of family do I want? Do I even want children? Right. Um, I wasn't I, I didn't even think about that. And um, and as I was writing the book, you know, I spoke to so many different people who created families of all kinds. I spoke to some people who who knew that they didn't want to have children. And so the, the way that they spent their late 20s and early 30s was very different from mine. Um, I, I spoke to people who wanted to have families, but were wanted to have them through adoption or through fostering. And that, that you know, led to a very different um, uh, plan for their life. Um, mm-hmm. And so really, the, the point of that whole example is just that you know, you shouldn't feel pressure, um, you know, based on what you're hearing about, you know, the perfect age to get married or the perfect age to start a family. The thing you need to think about is, do you want to get married? Do you want to start a family? What does that look like for you? You know, that that's, that's a much better place to be. And then, you know, once you you've sort of like, um, begun to understand, you know, what you want your life to look like, then you can start sort of, you know, forging your own itinerary, but there's no one right path for anybody. That's key. That's key. There is not a right path. And I think that's, I think that is what's changing when I think about, um, I'm 49 pushing 50 and I'm just thinking about, um, my growing up and what I was told, which I felt was very supportive about, um, you know, follow very supportive about follow what you are into and what you like to do. And of course, there was the um, I think unspoken. You need to get 
a job with security, right? Just like there, it, it, you need security and you need to be able to provide for yourself and your family. And again, I think I just saw it modeled for me based on my parents' growing up experiences. Um, and, and I think about parenting our teenagers and young adults is much more of a, we support you doing what you want to do and there's lots of options. And, and um, I feel, I hope that kids people now know that there are more options than I think in prior generations. I mean, also with just jobs are being created and there's new, there's new names for jobs. Like every year there's a new type of job that seems like that's emerging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, um, you know, as, as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, I, I, I have a PhD in, um, in Indian literature and I spent a lot of time th- thinking about literature and, his- and history um, when I was working on my PhD. And when I was writing this book, it just occurred to me that we are so privileged. Um, we have so much choice over what our lives look like in every facet of, of our lives. You know, I, I think back to um, to people in the ancient world who um, who didn't really even have the option of you know who they would marry, um, what they would do with mm-hmm. their life. Um, the average woman would just uh, be married off at a at a young age and have many children, and that was just her life. Um, I think about my grandmother. Um, who just two generations ago, um, who got married at the age of 16 and she uh, didn't get to finish high school. Um, she had six children because she, you know, that was what was expected of her. And I remember her when I was, when I was growing up, um, I remember her being very happy, um, with the life that she had, but her life was scripted for her, right? There was, there was some social script that she had to, to live out. And that is not my experience. And, um, what's so fascinating is that even now, you know, even generation to generation now, we are giving people more and more control over their life. Um, you know, in my parents' generation, um, they had a lot less uh, choice over, you know, things like, you know, the kinds of families that they would have. You know, they were operating on a script as well. And with my daughter, you know, when we, you know, when I was pregnant and we were talking about it, you know, my husband and I were very deliberate about saying, we want to be very conscious about what her sexual orientation is going to be. Uh, we want to think through, like, you know, what are signs that, you know, she might be transgender or, or whatever. We were having these discussions that my parents didn't even think about having. Um, sure, sure. And so the, the thing, though, is that all of this choice is so empowering. And there are reasons why society has created um, all of this freedom and choice. And, and it's because it's, it's, it's wonderful. But I think the thing that we fail to think about is that it's also paralyzing because when you're going through that and you're given this wealth of choice, um, you, you have this kind of anxiety about, you know, choosing the wrong path or, you know, picking, picking a less optimal path when you have so many options. And so I think we, we also need to be really compassionate with um, our children and with 20-somethings because they're also dealing with a lot of anxiety about what to choose in, in, you know, in this wealth of choice. Right. There's now so many choices, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And what, and what we want to help them, as you said, is like there's no wrong choice and there's so many roads and how to help them embrace those 20s because you don't get those back, right? <laughs> like you you don't. And, you know, when I think back of the, the 20s and all of the um, 
adventure and exploration and you really don't know what you have until it's gone most of the time so we do what we don't want to rush we don't need to people are taking longer to grow up these days so to speak mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. the 18 year old being an adult being off on their own that doesn't happen that much anymore so so another thing is like we our kids have time and i think we need to give them that message that Absolutely. they have time yeah, and I think that actually helping to figure out some of those decisions, it's really about um, sometimes not thinking about it so much. Um, and I think that, you know, it, you're right. We have a long time horizon to get to where we need to be. Um, I think that, you know, most of us, you don't need to start really thinking about um, things like um, financial um, stability and, um, and you know, sort of fam family responsibilities until we enter our 30s. Um, and so we have, like, you know, a decade, which is a long time, especially when you're in your 20s, to, to, to get to that point. And so I think a key message that I have is that, um, it takes it takes time uh, to, to, to wrestle with these decisions. And, and a lot of the time that wrestling involves not really consciously thinking about it. So I, I just basically encourage young people, you know, if you feel like, you know, you want to go and experiment with a new job, right? Like you want to just quit this job that seemed like it was right for you to go try this, this other thing. Um, that might be the right thing to do. Um, if you want to quit your, um, your life like I did and spend mm -hmm. a summer floating down down the Ganges, um, you know, that might be the right thing to do because it's in kind of escaping, you know, the, the, the everyday life that you have back home or, um, you know, the job that you're doing it. Sometimes it's, it's in getting a very different, um, you know, perspective that you figure out what you really care about. Um, and so, so just kind of, you know, feel free to not think about it all the time um, and, and just go, go out there and, and have those experiences that, that are tugging at you that, that you're desiring. Yes. Yes. I totally agree with that. Um, okay. So you also talk about in your book, investing in fitness, friends, and hobbies. Tell <laughs> us about that trifecta. <laughs> Um, I actually loved those chapters. Um, I think I actually enjoyed writing them uh, more than, than, than some of the other chapters because I, I, it, a lot of this was very new to me. Um, so uh, what, you know, I think a lot of people are already sort of thinking about their, um, you know, their careers and, and family planning and things like that. So these are things that I think a lot of us like, you know, are, are sort of like have at the back of our minds at least, but there are all these things that we don't even think about in our twenties that will have a, in some ways a much more profound impact on our lifelong happiness. Um, so for instance, something like friendships, um, there's all of this really fascinating research about how your circle of friends really peaks at the age of 25, which makes a lot of sense because when you're, you know, in your mid twenties, you still have friends from childhood, you have friends from college and you have some friends from, you know, the workplace. Um, and as time goes on, that circle of friends just keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Yep. Um, and the, the amount of time that you spend as well with those friends uh, shrinks as well. So as you get older, um, you just spend a lot less time with other people. Um, and that doesn't have to be the case. That's just kind of what sociologists have found is, is the norm. Um, and so most of us, because we're not really thinking that much about our friends, um, you know, we, we, we sort of don't really observe this drop off until it's slightly too late, right? Like 
you wake up in your mid thirties one day, like I did with my husband. Um, and you realize that your, your, your whole life has been taken over by this two-year-old and suddenly you don't have any friends. Um, and, and, and what's interesting is that there's all this other data, um, that we're seeing in psychology and, and medicine that's showing that, um, you know, the, that community and, and friendships have an enormous impact on our mental health and our physical health. Um, right. And so I, I just think that it's, it's so interesting and it's, it's so important for us to be thinking about our friendships and just basically I'm not, I'm not creating, you know, a list of work that 20 somethings necessarily need to do to stay on top of their friendships. But I think it's just worth kind of observing, um, you know, in your twenties, what's going on with your friends. Um, you know, who are the people that you like to be around? You know, what does it take to deepen your relationships? Who do you want to be with you in the, in the decades to come? And, and just kind of spend a little bit of time investing in, in that. And also, the other thing is that making new friends is actually a skill. And most of us, as we get older, uh, kind of get rusty at it. And so if, if, um, if you feel like you're, you're losing a lot of friends and you're not making new ones, there are very specific things you can do to invest in new relationships. And so, you know, I, I provide some advice about how to do that, but, but, but anyway, th that's, that's one thing that I, I didn't really think that much about in my twenties. I just assumed my friends would stick with me <laughs> and they didn't. Um, the other, the other chapter that I loved writing about was, was hobbies and, and passion projects, because that's another thing that I didn't think about, but basically there's some data that suggests that, you know, most of us don't pick up new hobbies once we enter our, our thirties and beyond. And so basically all of the, you know, the hobbies and, and, um, fun activities that you, that you do when you're at the age of 29 are basically the hobbies that you'll have for your, your whole life, which is really unfortunate for me because I didn't think at all about the hobbies that I was doing in my twenties. Um, I always assumed I would have more time in my future to, you know, to truck the Himalayas or, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to get really, you know, invested in, in music for instance. But, um, and so I didn't really spend any time thinking about it. And really the, all the hobbies that I picked up in my twenties were just like very um, silly ones that like, you know, I would be dating someone and, you know, he would go to some like experimental art project um, exhibit. And then I would go and, and then I would, I would just kind of drop that after a little while. I, I wasn't thinking about it, but actually mm -hmm. our hobbies are so important because they, um, they basically are a way of widening our experience of the world and they allow us to you know to throw ourselves into something that's not our work and family and and so they have this hugely important place in our life and so uh, i would just basically ur urge people in their 20s to, to not sort of throw throw aside you know the the passion projects that they have but actually invest in them because they're going to be so important throughout your life so really what you're what you're, you're a spouse. It's sort of like this roadmap, it, but, but I, but I, I don't want to say roadmap because that, that, that means that there are specific paths that they need to take. So I don't, I think what you're, what you're outlining is all of these different buckets mm -hmm. uh, to think about and to, to know that they're important, but also to know that there's lots of different ways to, engage in all of these buckets what it's your job it's your friendship it's your hobbies um travel and 
there's no right one, but all of these things are really worth thinking about. I mean, another way of putting it could be that it's it's kind of like a guidebook. Um, you know, like if you're if you're visiting there you go. That's this, it. Uh, <laughs> this country, uh, you just kind of want to know what the you know the big highlights are going to be, and then you can pick the ones that that you know appeal to you. Um, and you can kind of think a little bit about what you want to do in this foreign country, right? Um, you know, what, you know, how do you want to spend your time while you're on this journey? Mm -hmm. Um, and then pick, pick, pick the path that best appeals to you. Yes. A guidebook. That's the word I was searching for. It is a guidebook and it, and it hits on all of these important elements of life in a very, um, a very important part of life. And so I, I love how this is a proactive guide that, that parents can give their young adults um, as, and, and also learn from it themselves, I would say, early for those of us listening here, which is like, these are all the things to sort of be aware of when we're talking to our kids about their future or when we are giving them maybe even indirect messages about what we expect for their future. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that, you know, and to, to the theme of your podcast, um, I think that the book is actually very valuable to people who are not in their 20s as well. Um, in many ways, I wrote the book for myself because I was really interested in um, the decisions that I had made in my 20s. And I actually think that our 20s are, are fascinating because they're really the time in our life when we write our own origin stories. Um, when we kind of, you know, create this narrative about who we are and what we want from life. And I think that even in your, your, your 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond, uh, reconnecting with who you were in your 20s allows you to sort of think through, um, you know, who, who you decided to be and, you know, what your passions are and what your great ambitions are. Because, you know, as, as anybody, you know, who, who is past their twenties knows, um, it's so easy to get derailed from, you know, the, the, the things that we, we thought were our great passions and ambitions. And so kind of reconnecting with that can help you sort of inform how you spend your time now um, and what you what you want to focus on now. But I also think that, you know, as parents, kind of having a, a better sense of, you know, who we tried to be and who, who mm -hmm. we shaped ourselves to be can help us in our parenting um, because it just it gives us a better sense of who we are and what makes us happy and, and what we wanted from life. And, and I think that that's just a, a good thing, no matter how old you are. Totally agree. And you just, you know, hit the core of our, the parent footprint notion, right? The more that we are aware of ourselves, we can be purposeful about not only living our own lives, but how we parent our kids. So I wholeheartedly agree with you. And you just led us beautifully to the parent footprint moment question. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Here it is. The parent footprint moment question is, tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as a person or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this, I, I thought a lot about this, um, having heard your podcast. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I had a, a really wonderful childhood, um, but I had very uh, sort of different uh, parents who had very different approaches. I was very, very close to my father, um, who was very stable and, and loving and affectionate and the source of all goodness. And my mother was a little bit more troubled. She, she herself was adopted and had a difficult childhood. Um, and I think I was very anxious 
when I was thinking about becoming a parent myself, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a woman, I sort of thought that I, I would, you know, model myself uh, on my mother. I thought that that was just kind of how it would go. Um, but when I entered my early thirties and actually, as I was thinking about this book and thinking about myself and who I am, I realized that I'm actually a combination of both of my parents. And I am actually, I can choose, I can choose which parts of my parents I want to embody. And, um, when I realized that actually, I mean, maybe this is kind of obvious to to your listeners, but it wasn't to me. I I decided that, you know, I could actually model myself on my father rather than my mother. And I could, I could sort of imbue myself with the qualities that I loved best about my relationship with him. And, um, and now, you know, as a mother of a now four-year-old, I find that I, I'm mimicking things that I remember from him. You know, he's, he's, he's passed away now, but, um, you know, I, I, I try and model, you know, m- my relationship with my daughter over uh, through, through mm. you know, my, my memories of my relationship with him. And I'm so happy. And I, and I think that my relationship with, with her, um, and, and, you know, is, is a reflection of, of that beautiful relationship that I have with my dad. Um, nice. and so that was, that was my parent footprint moment. That's wonderful because I, you said you, you can choose, right? That's what everyone needs to hear. Like we, we can choose how we want to be. And it's with, with your awareness of, as you got older and you, you know, awareness of breaking down who your mom was, who your dad was, the relationship, how they formed you, what you liked, what not so much, all of that information allowed you to purposefully and intentionally choose what you want to cultivate with your daughter. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting because I think we, we get so uh, encumbered by notions of, of gender and notions mm-hmm. of fatherhood and motherhood. Um, and, you know, my marriage and my, you know, my relationship with my daughter is in some ways kind of uh, the flip in terms of gender um, mm-hmm. of, of my own family. And that's totally fine. You know, I'm the one who, um, <laughs> who's, who, who's, my, my husband was actually a lot better with my daughter when she was a small infant, um, you know, and, and I started stepping in and, and, you know, becoming a bigger part of, of her relationship when, you know, it came time to do things like, um, you know, sort of teaching her values and, um, you know, and and having deeper conversations with her. And that's the exact opposite of what uh, Mm -hmm. was true in my childhood. And that's so liberating now, now that I know that, that I can, I can choose, we can have any family that we want. It could be, it could be any version of, of either one of our families of origin. Awesome. Awesome. Liz, tell everyone where they can find your book as well as all of your other writings. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, this has been so much fun. Um, yeah, so my book, The Rocket Years, How Your 20s Launched the Rest of Your Life, you can find it anywhere books are sold, um, including Amazon, uh, which is an easy place to buy it, um, or your local independent bookstore. Um, and you can find my my writing for Fast Company on the Fast Company website. Um, and uh, you can find me uh, through my handle, Liz Segrin, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, all of the all of the sites. Awesome. Thanks so much, Liz. Um, There is so much more to talk about. And I'm sorry, our time has come to an end. I think you have, uh, you have written a guidebook um, that is going to help so much so many in this ever changing wondrous time of the 20s in modern life. So thank you. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. That's our show for today, everyone. Thanks for listening as always and joining us in our mission to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. 
Be the person you want your child to become. Check us out at our website, www.parentfootprint.com. Subscribe to the show and tell others about it. And finally, ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?